Welcome to Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma, and today we're going to take a step back and look at the rules of elections for local elections. We're going to look at plurality winning uh, for our local governments, for our city councils and our school boards. And we're going to look at the recent trend in Orange County where we're seeing more and more of these local elections in November going from at-large uh, elections to district-based elections and, and, and what the consequences are, the pros and cons, and, and why Kevin Shankman is a name that might be uh, changing the way your city votes. So let's get started. Okay, so this episode is going to be about district elections, plurality elections. I want to talk about the rules of the game. This is this is really the crucial stuff, not just the names on the ballot, not just policies they want to enact, but the rules of the game for local elections. We don't have runoffs. We don't have primaries. So these are new to the November ballot. Our city council races, our school board races, our water board races, our community college district races, these are all plurality wins. So whether there are two people running or 13 people running, whoever gets the most votes in November wins. And unless it's only two, um, that person probably doesn't have majority of the votes. Certainly not if it's 13 or nine or seven or five, but even three, um, it's possible for the vote to be split and uh, somebody wins without getting a majority of the vote. And we've seen that in the last few elections. We've seen how the rule change um, determines the outcome. So We've seen folks who have gotten elected and hold office who would not have been elected if the rules had been different, if we had a runoff election, a majority election. Um, one of my favorite elector uh, election systems is ranked choice voting, where you vote once and you rank your candidates. So if there are four um, candidates, you rank them in order that you would like to see. And if nobody gets a majority, we take away the lowest uh, the candidate with the lowest number of votes and reallocate what's their number two choice. If I voted for, uh, you know, the giraffe number one and the elephant number two, uh, and the giraffe got the least number of votes, then all the people who voted for the elephant as their number two vote, all of a sudden that counts. So it's a system that, that, that has some advantages for efficiency. It's a little confusing the first time you do it, but everybody gets used to it. We're used to the system we use because we're used to the system we use. Um, and so we're seeing more cities, we're seeing more states. Um, Alaska just used the ranked choice voting for their congressional seat. It's it's definitely something that we should consider um, using. We see what happened in Placentia or Belinda School District in the 2020 election at Leandra Blades, who I, you know, has really advanced some extremist positions and gotten Placentia or Belinda in the news. Um, she only won with 38% of the vote. So we start to see one of the problems with this method of elections is that somebody with a minority of support can win if you split the vote among the other candidates. So if there's, you know, a, a number of folks who kind of appeal to the same voter base that or are recruited to draw votes away, um, and we've seen that, uh, it, it's rife for shenanigans. So we need to be aware of the consequences of the rules that we choose. So in recent years, in addition to having a plurality win, many of our local elections have gone to district elections, which is a 
whole different story of rules um, that change in a big way for these races. Uh, we've talked this year, we have a lot of new um, districts. We've talked about redistricting a lot in terms of Congress and the state legislature. In California, that process was done last year by an independent redistricting commission who redrew the lines, which is why you might see someone on the November ballot that, that, they, that they are listed as an incumbent, but you've never heard of them. And you're in a new district with a, a new number for Congress, Assembly, and State Senate. Um, the Orange County Board of Supervisors, they are, are drawn not by the independent uh, commission that we put into effect statewide, but the every county, the 58 counties in the, in the state redraw their maps uh, every 10 years if the population has shifted, um, you know, if there's a variance of more than 10%. And, and, and that's why in Orange County, you see Katrina Foley's area has been moved. Um, and a court said that there was no reason to do that. Um, and, and, and so kind of called out the shenanigans there. Um, but she is, Katrina Foley is an incumbent who was just elected in a special election, is now having a campaign in a whole new part of the county. Um, it's one of the reasons that, that uh, Pat Bates, uh, who's just uh, termed out of the state Senate, um, has been recruited to run um, because she has name recognition in that area. And so the, the Republicans, these are nonpartisan elections, but the Democrats are backing Katrina Foley and the Republicans are backing Pat Bates. Um, she's 82 years old and uh, has served on the Board of Supervisors before, uh, been in Sacramento before, and and is on the ballot. And We've seen that. Todd Spitzer was on the Board of Supervisors, went up to Sacramento in the Assembly, came back and ran. Um, that name recognition holds. A lot of people in Orange County still know um, Pat Bates and uh, you know know what she's supporting and, and what she would do. And so Katrina Foley's area has been moved because of those redistricting. Um, so that's a tight race for um, both sides. Uh, this November, uh, we, we see how the city and school boards have redrawn their own districts. Um, and, and, and because this is a relatively new, some, you know, have just adopted their districts in, in, in 2016 or, or 2018, and, and now they're redrawing them all together. And so, um, before we look at how these districts are actually working, um, let's take a step back and talk about the difference between at-large districts, which is the way most cities and school boards used to conduct their elections, um, and now the move to district-based elections that we see in Orange County. Um, the, 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 the law that was passed actually was passed uh, you know, in 2001, so over 20 years ago. California passed the California Voting Rights Act, which in addition to protecting Voting Rights Act, right there in the name, it also made it easier for underrepresented groups to sue local governments that use election rules that disadvantage groups. So that's similar to the United States Voting Rights Act of 1965. We've seen that, that lawsuits have been filed to protect against electoral rules being used to disenfranchise voters, but also to, to prevent uh, people, candidates from underrepresented groups from getting elected. So that's been on the books um, for, for over 20 years, but really only recently have these localities, these, these municipal governments, these school boards been forced to switch their electoral system. So the California Voting Rights Act applies to the 58 counties, over 480 cities in the state, and over a thousand school districts. So that part's going to become really important for our purposes because the provision that has triggered so many debates in Orange County 
is that there's a provision of the California Voting Rights Act, CVRA, that allows private lawyers to seek legal fees from these localities, these governments in court. They can sue. Now, I'm not a fan of incentivizing lawsuits because especially the way it is written, we've seen abuse of power with ADA compliance suits where the the, the American Disabilities Act, and we should absolutely be complying with the American Disabilities Act, but, but this poison pill that allows lawyers to profit off of taking the cases has incentivized bad behavior. And so there's there's a couple of lawyers who have made millions and millions and millions of dollars in this arena. And, and we're now seeing that in the Voting Rights Act. So just by sending a letter to small business owners threatening a lawsuit, they can collect $4,000 in statutory damages and legal fees. And the threat of the letter is if you don't pay up, basically what seems like extortion we will then sue and go to court and, and the compensatory damages and the legal fees and, and, and all of this is going to be far higher and possibly put you out of business. So predatory lawyers allowed to shake down small businesses that can't afford a lawsuit seems a terrible way to go. And, and we, we, we've seen this. Uh, you know, Scott Johnson is notorious for filing more than 6,250 lawsuits, often simply with a letter um, about table height, about the weight of the doors. And, and for small businesses that are renting the property that do not own the property, then there's a big question of, is it the, is it the property owner's responsibility? Is it the business owner who is renting the property? Um, but, but the Unruh Civil Rights Act, if you want to look it up, um, allows disabled plaintiffs to automatically recover a minimum of $4,000 if they prove they visited a business with barriers. Uh, and, and, and Scott Johnson, you know, will, will simply, send a letter and, and get this money. And so the, the and legal fees means that it is millions and millions and millions of dollars. And, and they're not taking the money and going out and educating the public. They're, they're not making sure that the planning commissions in these cities are doing it. And instead, the ADA, this really good law with absolutely good intentions to make public and private businesses accessible to everyone are being abused by by lawyers who become professional plaintiffs who who make millions of dollars and take advantage for money. And and we're seeing that here with electoral rules. We're seeing that with a lawyer named Kevin Shankman, who is on a one-man mission to make money. And he believes district elections are good. And and sometimes they are. But if a community needs to consider changing the election, election rules to make elections fair, it should be a conversation for that community. It, it should happen in that community. And the ACLU has really stepped up to, to provide public law resources for people, candidates, uh, the community to enter into that, perhaps with a lawsuit. Um, so, Instead, a couple of lawyers have decided to make millions of dollars suing communities they don't live in. And that part bothers me, the communities they don't live in. So what's the problem with the way things work? So at-large elections, that's how most cities and school boards conducted elections, and, and, and some still do. It means the city council members or the school board members are elected to represent that entire community. And except for a, a couple of really big cities, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, they held elections by district long before the Voting Rights Act, but but most do these at large. So if you live in 
in in a city, everybody who wants to be on the city council runs citywide. And and it doesn't matter where, as long as you live within the boundaries of that town or school district. Um, And there are some advantages to that system. Um, Candidates learn a lot about the entire town when they're campaigning to represent the entire city. Um, You know, I I personally have lived in Brea for years um, before I worked on a school bond campaign. And just visiting the elementary schools, back to school nights to talk to parents about Measure K was an education. I, I knew a lot about the elementary school in my neighborhood that my kids attended. I talked to my neighbors. I knew this area, this little piece of Brea, but I'd never even driven past some of the schools that we were discovering because they're in neighborhoods and community-based. Um, so I can see how campaigning in the whole town would be an education and an important one to understanding the local government that you're going to represent. Do you want to represent the entire town? So talking to potential voters from neighborhoods far from your own, taking note of different conditions and problems while you're you know, driving the town, putting up yard signs across the, the, the city, that's a good thing for candidates. Um, and as a voter, there are benefits for the voters with the system. Voters weigh in and have to evaluate every candidate and they get to vote for each one. Let's take school boards or cities that have five people on their councils or boards and we, we stagger the elections. So two are going to be elected in one year and the remaining three are going to get elected two years later. So with at-large elections, I as a voter am making a choice every November I'm voting for city council. And within four years, I have voted for everybody who's on that council. I, I have gotten the chance to weigh in and evaluate the candidates and whether they win or lose, I have voted for all five of those seats. Now, it's not perfect. There's some, there's some negative things about at-large elections. It's expensive to campaign and, and it's expensive to reach an entire town. It's, it's hard to do grassroots campaigns when you have to cover an entire neighborhood. It's hard to walk neighborhoods or knock on every door, um, even in a smaller town like Brea, which I would argue might be too small for districts. La Palma is going to argue, like, we, we just don't have this huge entity that we're talking about. But you can certainly imagine trying to campaign to all of Santa Ana or all of Anaheim or all of, all, all of Fullerton um, is going to be almost impossible. Um, there's just not enough time. Again, these are part-time positions. They, you know, are not huge campaigns. Often it's, you know, maybe a campaign consultant and a candidate or on a smaller campaign, just the candidate, whatever family they've family and friends they've roped into. So the system of at-large elections absolutely favors wealthy candidates. Um, the more expensive it is to run, the more influence that money has, and outside or independent groups. You know, we, we we've seen outside independent expenditures really have an outside um, influence. Um, whether it's a wealthy millionaire uh, in in, in, in Fullerton and Brea that, you know, sort of puppet masters behind the scenes trying to influence um, uh, uh, the, the local politics or, uh, you know, more formally, the independent expenditure operations of, uh, of Anaheim with SOAR, uh, the Saving Our Anaheim Resort that, that gets millions of dollars, mostly from Disney. Um, so incumbents get a big advantage because name recognition is really helpful. When I, when I talked last episode about who's on the ballot, those incumbents have a huge advantage. Uh, that, that's just the reality. So you may not know the candidate. You may not have followed anything, any decisions they made while they were elected, but you recognize their name. They've been on the ballot before. 
So there are some pros and cons. Um, and, and the community sort of needs to decide for themselves what system they want to use. But let's take a look that, you know, case study really needed to consider districts kind of was the, the example of why districts were needed. Um, the city of Anaheim, clear problem. Um, and, and, and obviously there are, there are problems besides election rules that, that, that we've seen with the FBI investigation, with the allegations and criticisms long before the FBI showed up. One of the reasons they've it came to town um, was because there, there are problems behind the scenes that have nothing to do with elections. But let's focus on the elections. So Anaheim is a huge city and it's and it's long. It's it's long and it's large. So um independent interests have dominated Disney and and, and the Honda Center and uh, you know these these major corporations that are there. Um, I could go on and on, but you know, there's an FBI investigation for a reason that you can read all about. Voice of OC has done a great job covering it. Um, so historically, in Anaheim, the folks who got elected to city council were not representative of the town. You know, a majority Latino population and almost no city council members had ever been um, elected. So not just the demographics, but also geographic representation. Most council members were coming from the same part of the city. Um, what the folks who live there call Anaheim Hills, but if you look on a map, that's not an actual designation. Uh, but but you would see, you know, the vast majority, if not all, of the council members were coming from that same neighborhood, that same area, and nobody representing the flatlands, nobody representing, the, you know, the areas around Disneyland, nobody representing the area around the five freeway, nobody representing that area, and there, there's income disparity with those elections, and 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 you know, go go to uh, Advance OC's equity map to look at how the city of Anaheim has. Um, income inequality and public health and access to parks and all of those things that matter that we want the city council to direct policy for the city government to provide services. So Latino political activists had been pushing Anaheim for the switch. Los Amigos was a, a big um, influence here um, for district elections since the early 1990s. Uh, the city council rejected the idea. They liked the system that elected them. One of the problems why sometimes you need to get outside um, influence, the ACLU uh, was aware of it. So when in 2001, the California Voting Rights Act was passed, it opened up an, an opportunity for the community of Anaheim to force the city council by taking it to the people. So Jose Moreno and the ACLU of so Southern California get a bunch of credit for actually leading this effort, so many unnamed sources that I can't possibly go into, but you know who you are, um, who really worked on getting that in front of the voters, getting it on the ballot and making sure that people understood why it was important because all the city council current members were white um, at the time and they were primarily, if not all, from this one section of Anaheim. So shutting out representation, the geographic disparity, um, they switched to district-based elections. And, and and then the community was really involved. They, they had kind of created an, an organization, a community involvement to draw maps, to say, how are we going to divide the city of 350,000 people? And they decided to do six districts with a seven um, being an elected mayor citywide. So for several years, 
um, after the California Voting Rights Act was in force, this was sort of how these districts came from the community themselves, using that as a wedge to force the community, even if they weren't going to give up power willingly, to take it to the people or through a lawsuit to, to, to have a review. But the attorneys that wrote the law and put in the provision for attorneys to collect legal fees and sue to get settlements and millions of dollars of settlements, for most of those early years, it was just the attorneys who had drafted the law who collected. And they'd collected by this point $4 million. Well, that caught the attention of a lawyer in Malibu named Kevin Shankman. And in 2012, 11 years after the California Voting Rights Act passed, he started suing cities and school districts through the region. And his most famous case, his big money case was Palmdale. And, and, and that, again, like Anaheim, was an easy target. Three quarters of the population were underrepresented uh, demographics, and its city council was largely white. So we saw that the at-large system had disenfranchised, disadvantaged candidates that, that weren't wealthy, that weren't incumbents, that were new to the political scene. And so Kevin Shankman and whoever he was working with, his partners, won $4.6 million from that single lawsuit against Palmdale. And and that really scared other cities. It really scared school boards. They didn't have that money. You know, Palmdale obviously ended up paying a massive, massive um, payout to that. Um, Shankman ends up incredibly wealthy from from that lawsuit and he is on a mission uh, he believes that at just at large election should not exist and everyone should go and if they don't go willingly he is going to sue it he has sort of become a one-man uh district lawsuit so one of the problems that we're encountering is not everybody not every city not every school board is a Palmdale or an Anaheim where the community wants it, where there are barriers, where there are powerful figures that are standing. So a lot of residents like the at-large system for the reasons I cited, that every single member of a local government is then accountable to every voter. Um, the, the, there's the argument that that others have made that small communities share too much in common and, and that not every community, not every locality is divided in a way that one local neighborhood would then emerge um, with a candidate who diversified the, the council or the board. Um, and, and one of the things I think that we're seeing lots of resentment and, and Cypress and Irvine and Brea in Orange County are, are fighting back um, and actually challenging that rather than just getting the letter and changing their system is because we are being compelled to accept districts through legal threats and accusations of racism, which, which are not always the reason that the, the at-large system is disadvantaging a particular candidate. Incumbency is far more powerful. Money is far more powerful than simply, you know, the racism of a community. And, and, and we saw that um, Kevin Shankman, to, to, you know, you have to have standing, so you have to find somebody in the community, somebody who ran for office and lost, to sue saying that if we'd had district elections, I would have won and therefore we're suing. So Linda Gonzalez is um, the person, the candidate whose name Kevin Shankman finds to say, this is why we're suing the city of Oceanside. 
Um, and, and she's given interviews to say, you know, I, I, I said that wasn't the reason. Um, I told him that that was not the reason that I lost. I lost because I was running against veteran incumbents. I lost because they had money. I lost because they had name recognition. I didn't lose because my last name is Gonzalez. I didn't lose because of that. I lost because of these other factors that we know to be huge advantages for candidates. So she she actually said, you know, that that I didn't want this. Uh, Linda Gonzalez says, you know, I told Kevin Shankman, I agree, we need to get more Latinos involved in the government and in our democracy, we need to have them vote, but I don't think special districts are the solution for Oceanside. Um, and, and he didn't want to talk to Linda Gonzalez after that. She disagrees with him for the solution. And, and Linda Gonzalez, you know, has really been one who's speaking out and saying, you know, I do not want my name being used in this lawsuit um, and, and believes that these outside um, forces like Kevin Shankman are working against the people they're trying to help, that, that there are other problems uh, in, in, you know, not, not opening up the seats of government to, to newcomers and, and to people without um, wealth. So here we are. Um, and, and another, another problem we found is what happens if you don't have somebody running from that? district you know what what if it's an area where nobody wants to run what if you've got two really incredible people who just happen to live in the same neighborhood and they can't both um serve uh in, in their community so that's the background the cities in, in in orange county that have already switched anaheim was the first in 2016 uh they drew the maps uh, Buena park and fullerton orange and placentia have now gone and so they have districts for their city council Buena Park and Fullerton, uh, the first time they had it is 2018. So this is the second uh, round for those districts. They uh, first elected in 2018, and now incumbents are running for re-election, like we see in Fullerton with the Manzara for District 5. Um, Orange and Placentia, 2020 was the first time they switched. So um, they're just starting this. And so as we get more one of the problems with with a small sample size when we're talking about elections is, you know, it's hard to to divine any tra- trends when you've only had one election and only two districts or three districts um, so far. But as we have more examples uh, to to look at the trends and and to see how it's actually working in some of these communities, we'll see if it is a good or a bad thing for the community and 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 see probably the answer is both. There are positives and negatives. So. Brea um, is is likely going to face a lawsuit. Uh, if you check the tape uh, for the city council where they were going to accept the maps that had been drawn, um, Dwight Manley uh, came to public comments and offered a check, offered to help fight the lawsuit from Kevin Shankman, um, and and wrote a check for a hundred thousand dollars, which um, likely would not cover if we got hit with a multi million dollar uh, penalty. Um, but but we shall see. Uh, Cypress and Irvine are, are court cases that are pending far before. Um, we Bray hasn't even been served, but Kevin Shankman was definitely watching the tape. He was interviewed about it in the media after. Um, whether La Habra with the majority Latino council will will be sued, I don't know. Um, it's one of the questions is what what are the benefits for district elections? Um, it, is it even just about representation for underserved groups or is Shankman's um, belief that everyone should go to um, at district at sorry, district elections, even if 
uh, underrepresented groups have a seat at the table. We, you know, certainly that's one of the reasons Irvine, um, which, which has a very diverse city council, is is fighting back in court. So we shall see. But gives you a little perspective on the rules. Um, we're still going to have to look at plurality winning. Um, I would make the case that when we look at Anaheim in 2018, with nine candidates running and splitting the vote, um, and that Ashley Aiken and Harry Sadu, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, less than 500 votes separated them, um, those are questions that we may want to look at. I would argue that Anaheim should have a runoff system or a ranked choice system that they should put the the, the initial um, race in June. I think all of these at-large mayors um, where you have this powerful attempt, at least, even though they're still part-time folks, um, but but the cities with at-large mayors would be well-served to have clear consensus from their cities uh, with with runoffs um, and, wh- and whether that's an instant runoff on the, the November ballot or to move to either June or March, depending on if it's a presidential year, determines when our primary election is. Um, but you could have a, a, a runoff like we see for the Los Angeles mayor, um, where if you win a majority, you win, and if you don't win a majority, it advances um, to the November election with only two candidates. I, I think there's some advantages to that rather than splitting the vote and see an extremist winning um, either in, you know, Placentia or Belinda School Board, um, where there's an incentive to split the vote and to put some other folks on the ballot to encourage um, that splitting. Uh, that that goes away. That's not incentivized when you have a runoff um, elections. So just things to consider when we're looking at local elections uh, and, and making decisions about the rules. Um, we don't often have the space to really look at what are the effects. Um, and so we need to have those conversations in our communities. We need to ask our local governments to make rules that are fair, make rules that achieve the goals that we want, which is you know a clear choice from the voters, their voices being heard, um, and making sure we are, are electing people who represent the the voters who participate in in democracy and and cast a ballot. So we're going to talk about ballot propositions. We're going to talk to some people uh, who are on the ballot. I will share with you uh, the League of Women Voters candidate forums in the North Orange County. I encourage you again, if you don't live in North Orange County, um, to to look at. Uh, your League of Women Voters in your community and, and what voter services they're doing, pros and cons for the ballot measures, a great way to learn. I'll be sharing that information um, uh, on, on this podcast. Um, we're going to do just a quick review next time on the ballot measures, and then we'll dive into some of the other um, issues in our communities um, that are on the ballot in November. So thanks for listening. So as always, thanks for listening. I couldn't do this podcast without you. A special shout out to my favorite listener, my mom, Peggy Jenkin, who listens to this podcast, even though she lives in Turlock, California, and doesn't get to vote for 90, 95% of the people I talk to. Um, my executive producer, Ann Watka, who spent years talking me into this. Uh, a huge thanks to the producing team who makes this possible, Jackson Henry and Fiza Valiola. Um, if you haven't listened to Observing Fullerton, you know what to do next. Subscribe and listen to all their past episodes. 
as part of the Fullerton Observer, uh, the podcast team, Arush Naveed, Arian Meza, Bianca Bravo, and our own Jackson Henry, keep you informed about the uh, the Fullerton community with their podcast. So give them a listen. They've got a great show. Thanks. Talk to you soon.